0: I have a question for you. Yeah. So we are, I often approach, you know, working on cameras just because I have a bunch of half-finished projects and I think, "Oh, I should be working on that." But some every now and again I I realize that a better idea would be to think of some goal I have, you know, some kind of picture I want to take and make whatever is required to do that. So, are there any I don't know, photographic goals or ideas that you have right now that that are on your mind that you could build something to? Make easier.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, once again, I'm going to say some of the same things, um, that I always say. Um, I, I like the formats that we don't have readily available. And one of the formats that I've kind of gotten into a little bit more lately and, uh, shout out to Johnny Sissons from the Classic Lens podcast because it was kind of a discussion that he had. Um, about panoramic and, um, uh, and he's got a, he's got a crop, um, 35 millimeter crop panoramic, um, dedicated, um, Minolta. And I forget exactly what the, what the model is, but it's, a, um, it just crops a 35 millimeter frame down to panoramic and it's, you know, a poor man's, uh, X pan. And then there was something else that he was calling it the other day. And, uh, so it, he, w- he was talking a while back and we actually discussed it a few weeks ago with the idea of really composing, um, in camera, the panoramic crop as opposed to, um, you know, taking the picture and then later cropping it into a panorama. And one of the things that he was talking about that, um, that really kind of, uh, pulled my attention was the idea of it being like a Panavision, um, like a really widescreen cinematic image. And it, there are some, you know, really great, um, uh, Panavision films out there. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking Lawrence of Arabia, um, but for some reason, I'm not entirely sure that it was, Panavision, but um, where where you have things because you have such a wide angle, you can have things that entirely occupy what would be like a normal frame in the foreground, then entirely occupy a normal frame in the middle ground, and then entirely occupy what would be a normal frame in the background. But it because you have such a wide rectangle you can crop it into three normal rectangles right so um so sure
0: you can get more you can get more stuff in the shot with a comparatively longer lens so that that longer lens kind of makes things stay intimate and it keeps it keeps you know the background from vanishing into the distance but the actual wide film means you have a wider angle of view um, and that combination is, is, it is really affecting. I and, think. and you yeah. can
1: compartmentalize. So, you know, you can do rule of thirds and, you know, that one of the thirds can be really close and completely fill it. And then, you know, another third can be off, you know, horizon, far horizon. And, um, and that, that really has been something that has been in my head a lot lately uh, I went out and got a, um, uh, a, a, a Fuji version of that. Um, uh, I, I, you can flip it back and forth, but I actually think mine is permanently broken into the panoramic view, which is fine, which is absolutely fine. Is this,
0: isn't this? is this... Isn't this essentially a very wasteful half-frame sure. camera? Like, yeah. But, you
1: know, um, uh, yeah. Yeah absolutely it is um now i but an x-pan is you know 1800 bucks right
0: oh no no and and i and i strongly recommend that um the the rb47 what is it rb67 conversion right i did so that's just a a film back that'll work with all sorts of different cameras
1: well Uh one of the things that i like about this is for some reason i've been kind of uh having uh a point and shoot uh desire um Mm -hmm. you know an autofocus point and shoot no-brainer camera um Mm -hmm. and sometimes those are really nice to go back to because then you're just thinking about the composition yeah you know and and the one that i got it will do focus lock it's just the simplest you know half press focus lock and uh and i've had a lot of fun with it i've shot two full roles and developed them. And then I have a third role that's in there right now. And, um, the, uh, and, and, I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. If you, if you look at, um, my Flickr stream, let's, it's on the Flickr stream. It's also on the, in, the Instagram. Flickr is Freezer Photons. Instagram is Graham Homemade Camera. And you, you'll see some of these images. Um, uh, I did one with, my dog and the dog from across the street that I walk. Um, and they're at either end of this, um, of the frame, the big long frame, their heads are at either end. And then I've got that all the road in the background. And it was a foggy day, which I don't know if you've noticed this, Nick, have you ever noticed this fog is really photogenic. I love fog. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so that's what I've been kind of working on. Um, and th- this goes to the Flexopan, um, cause the Flexopan, theoretically, if I can get it to work, I'm, uh, I'm taking a little hiatus on the design of it, um, to go back and really learn the software I'm using. I'm using Fusion 360, uh, to design. And I kind of fell into it because I had a problem with Maya, which is what I was using before. Um, and uh, Fusion three hundred and sixty is a CAD program. Um, I mean, it's CAD oriented, so it's really the proper program to design a camera in. Whereas Maya is a little bit more modeling oriented. Um, uh, but uh, you know, the, the principles are the same, both of them. Uh, it's just the specifics. So I've, deci- I've I've taken a little bit of a break from the de- actual designing to go back and really learn that software. I'm going through a lynda.com training, uh, because through my work, I can, uh, I can do that for free. I'm jealous everyone. Um, so anyway, um, that's, that's kind of what I've been thinking of. Um, I, have been doing, you know, thinking of designing the X-Pan and what I can do with the X-Pan or the X-Pan, uh, I said it, Flexapan. Um, and, and really, actually what I'm just was talking about there is the flex pan or the, uh, X-Pan size, that 24 millimeter by 65 millimeter, um, which is two and a half to one kind of, uh, format. Yeah, it's
0: Um, a, it's a really great format. And I wanted to comment that part of the real fun of these, uh, panoramic cameras still film cameras is that you, you get to. comprehend the entire composition all at once whereas using most of the you know iphone or or even um digital camera panoramic functions you have to swing through right the arc and you can't see the whole composition at once you have to kind of guesstimate it and that's actually a real handicap uh it's slick it's cool but i like to be able to see the entire frame and and then just push push a button and be done you know
1: yeah. And one of the things that really annoys me, I've, I've an iPhone, uh, and for panorama, you have to do the whole thing. You can't stop it halfway. Right. Um, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's going to do as far as it goes. And, um, uh, yeah, and you can't just stop it at two to one yet. You, ha- you have to crop it later. But one of the things that I like about that, cause it's a pan and scan, right? I mean, that deliberately is that you can, you know, you can twist the camera as you do it, and, you know, you can change the angle going through uh and that's and that's a lot of fun. I, I like doing that. So what are you thinking of um of uh, of really designing something specific?
0: Oh, uh hmm. <laughs> I didn't expect to have to answer the question myself.
1: <laughs> uh okay. No, well, we, no, I'm just this is I'm just kidding. The power of kidding. editing, we can edit this out. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, no, no, or no. not. No, it's, since, no, it's, you know. <laughs> it's,
0: it is something that I meant to think about and I have thought about a little bit and uh, I think right now I'm just interested in getting wide angle lenses into action. It seems like something about this dark time of year. I don't know. I just want more dramatic wide yeah. stuff. So yeah, I'll tinker with better, better ways to use that. I have a couple of wide angle lenses and I'll fiddle with those. Yeah. Figure out what to do with them.
1: I, I feel like we keep getting a score there. <laughs>
0: yeah, wait. I could probably
1: yeah. make this stop. Yeah, just flip the little uh, the, that little thing there. Nick has joined the rest of the universe. He now yeah, has a there's, smartphone.
0: There's still other people with. Uh, yeah, I
1: know. Anything. I know both of them who don't have a smartphone. Okay. So yeah, first world prob- problems, right?
0: Well. Yeah, that's probably true. I
1: think people have phones
0: all over the place. So right. do you have
1: do you have a, an answer? Something that you want to besides your underwater camera? No,
0: I I want to do more with wide angle lenses. So get them into action, basically. And yeah. I have a couple and uh, for that can shoot on bigger film. I also have a a, con- a contraption for making panoramic shots out of by stitching together multiple photographs shot through a single lens so you can compose the whole thing all at once uh through a ground glass and then you just take a series of photographs by moving the camera uh back along through the image circle so if you if you have a small sensor you just take several pictures that overlap sure uh, it's a way to get a really large Uh, a large high resolution panoramic shot out of a cheap camera so it's pretty It's actually pretty fun
1: okay so what do you say we start the homemade camera podcast
0: uh yeah sure
1: Recently, have been um, thinking a lot about not just the images that I've been making, but actually the quality of the image, the and the acuteness and the acuity, if that's a word, of the uh, of the image, the sharpness of the image. And I okay, um, I, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Um, the college I teach at. Um, we have a faculty show every two years, and this is the year for the faculty show. It's going to be in January. And, um, the last time we had one, it was, um, uh, I, I was hired, um, in December for a January start. Um, and so I just, and the show started. So I just pulled out three pictures, you know, uh, had them printed, got a cheap, uh, frame and, and put them, put them up. And this time, this time I knew it was coming. So I really had time to look through my body of work, my, my, um, you know, uh, it, it, the, the, the pictures all the time, that I've been taking over the all last the times
0: two years. you've pressed the shutter over two years, right? Yeah, well, okay, not all the times, <laughs>
1: but but you know, I I wanted I wanted there to be kind of like a consistent theme. I didn't want you know uh one panoramic, um, you know, one Polaroid, or uh, in stacks and you know a pinhole and you know all this type of thing. And what I came up with was really that what I wanted to show was my pinhole camera work. So I selected five pieces. Um and it um at five pieces actually pinhole work and then one uh of my camera with the fifty millimeter um uh uh minolta on it. So but it's not really a whole lot different from the from the pinhole work in that um it's pretty far down the fidelity curve is pretty far down, you know, I mean, this, this work. Okay. So, so that led me to, to kind of examine why I, what it was that was drawing me down that fidelity curve. And it has to do really with the quality of digital cameras that are out there right now. And this is, this is the logic we'll, we'll go back. Um, I've taught art history a couple of times and one of the things that I love emphasizing that isn't, it's just brushed over in the art books that we, the art history books that, that we use is the concept of the disruption to the industry, the art making industry in the mid 1800s with, from the camera the camera in art was the first truly disruptive technology since they figured out how to cast bronze, you know, the, uh, and they didn't have to do marbles anymore. Right. So um, I'll,
0: I'll go along with that, but I think there's a pretty appealing theory that it even goes back before that to the camera obscura, sure. which a lot, a lot of people think transformed painting into the more photographic style more
1: photographic or, more more we see um, now yeah yeah photo so in a way like um, it
0: came to painting even before people were able to fix an image that was made directly by light you know the camera the camera had already had a big impact so it sort of prepared the way for its it's like the robots you know it's like the the iphone preparing the way for our robot overlords of the future you know like
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> or the our robot overlords of right now um so the, but there's a difference between using a camera obscura as a painter or a drawer or a uh, a an engraver and um that is that you are using that as source material for the work that you're doing and it helps inform that source material or it it helps yeah it, or the source material helps inform the final project yeah.
0: and i would say but, that's not it's not that different than looking at a projected image and informing your your roving eye about the proportions of perspective you know it's uh
1: I don't know. No, it's, no, yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, same idea really.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right. Uh the same eye yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um but there but the difference became in you know okay, so yeah. when we get to the Matthew Brady and uh you know the the Civil War photographs, they really um are they're they're doing something that you couldn't really do in that they're showing an image that is photographic it's black and white but it is photographic and it can show gore in a way that um a painting can't because it is a painting because i think that because i think it's the sense of veracity
0: i think it's the sense of veracity i think goya did paintings of war that are as good as any other journalistic photographs, but I think what's really different is that your gut believes the photograph is, is what was that. It was, it was a moment. It was something that happened and people are like overstating the whole thing of being able to screw around with it. Cause you know, people have always been able to screw around with photos. Right. I think what matters is whether you can trust them or not. I think when you, when you believe that the photo photographer was not was not cheating and was giving you a picture of the real world that had a lot of impact.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Well, know, it's really, not yeah. only it's not only that but it, it, we're talking about in that specific war situation but it's that it, it is much further past that in that um uh photographs can tell the actual right without the artist being in between. We don't have to go through the artist's brain, even though good photographers, yeah, we go through good photography brains, but it's, we're not, it, it has that immediacy exactly. that was not available. So right. what did artists do in response? What did painters do in response? Because documentary, um, uh, is now taken over by the photographers, and, yeah, the paint, and painters dropped it. it
0: like a hot potato and ran right. off in all these right. wacky new directions. And yeah, of course so. the photographers chased them into the abstract and all the rest of that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and they and they were both to a certain, well, I'm not going to say they were both happy to go because that's not, that's not necessarily true. But I, uh, because I think that there was a, um, a, a crash, um, of economics that really hit the illustrators. Um, and, you know, and engravers, although engraving continued on because they, that was the reproduction, uh, method in newspapers and magazines and stuff like that. But okay. So, so there was that disruption and it was the disruption of the real, right? It was disruption of getting a close, getting one step closer to being there. Well, mm-hmm. I kind of feel. That, you know, um, I'm not shooting, I'm not shooting four by five and I'm not shooting eight by 10. I can't get that resolution, um, from my film. I shoot medium format, but still even medium format sometimes doesn't have, um, the acuity that, uh, that I'm looking for. Sure. Um, it doesn't have the sharpness. It doesn't have that. Right. And, and part of it has to do you know, I mean, shutter speeds is much part of that as anything else. So I find myself being pulled, as I said, down the fidelity curve towards that area of photography that is away from uh trying to get that really sharp picture. Um And now, and uh, this doesn't, this isn't saying that I'm abandoning lens photography because I'm not. I love lens photography. Um I uh I still like sharp pictures that I take. But there's there's a pulling I I feel this pulling towards um low-fi uh photography that I'm not feeling towards high-fi photography. Um and uh you know one of the things that I like um, i I like doing uh, and I have not done it seriously I've not done it um for for a while uh is the multiple exposure um and I love the idea of the overlapping image and one of the things that I found out when I was doing those is it is best to my eye it is absolutely best when the film I'm using has been. Baking in a Bulgarian warehouse for a decade before I get it, or two decades That's before a, I get it. You know, that I sounds have, a
0: little a little bit extreme. I think. Well, maybe I, five I, years I, in a refrigerator is is good.
1: Yeah, well, five years in a refrigerator gives you a nice film. I want that film to be broken down. <laughs> you know, um, I want. Well, that maybe you film, should like
0: rinse it with lemon juice or some of that. Yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, could. Uh, you know. Yeah,
1: I could. I could do all that stuff, but. But uh, but there's something about old film that works with a pinhole, works with double exposure, works when you are going more painterly. Does that make sense? When you're sure. going more abstract,
0: and that's a and that's pictorial. partly a term because painters were running away from photography. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Putting, trying to put more emotion or more intellect or more something into the right into the Why? painting. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I'm sure, you know, I mean it's the same thing that we hear all the time. Ar- can you can you still get film for that? Well, right. you so you're
0: you're, talk, you're talking about the arms race between the different yeah. art art fields, which is right. always going on in the background and uh yeah. So you're kind of right now veering in the direction that the painters went, so you're basically right. trying to work your camera you know, back in some other direction. Right. I think um, you, what you're describing sounds, I'm sure you're going to say soon, a lot like pinhole photography. And, and I, and one of the things I really, I like about that though, is it's both, it goes both ways. It's overall less sharp, but there's infinite depth of field. So, and there's a way that you look at an image like that. It feels more like the way we look at the world because we don't, we look at different parts in a sequence and, and sort of pull the focus out of that. And, and that's very different than when a a shallow depth of field lens, like forces you to only focus on one thing. That's, it's kind of bossy, like, (laughs) right. Sure. You know, it's, it's not giving your eye freedom to roam around the picture in a way. And uh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, one of the other things that I like about pinhole is because the exposures are long. I mean, uh, a bright sunny day with um a pinhole camera that has say f200 or f212 whatever's in there f216 whatevers the the number the common stop in there um you know uh on a bright sunny day with 100 speed film uh your sunny 16 time is is somewhere between half a second and a second so you can you know um and we'll talk about tech techniques uh, a little bit later on, but what you, so if it gets any dimmer, you know, the time greatly ramps up. So, um, uh, you know, if it gets, you know, if it's overcast, now you're at 10 seconds, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, um, even with perfectly good light, um, you know, uh, on, you know, in, in twilight, you know, you can be, you can be minutes. So what you get to show then is time. You right. get to show movement of objects through the world and you get to show them in multiple places or a continuous uh, path of places. Um, and, and uh, that's another thing that I'm, I'm very interested in um, is that passage of time. So, uh, so that's one of the, that's one of the things that, that I like about a pinhole. Uh, I'd there, say that
0: that's, that's another thing that painters could sometimes really do. Yes. That, that photographers struggled a little bit, but yeah, I think. there that's,
1: Well, uh, there's the classic, um, you know, uh, small dog on a leash and woman descending staircase. Sure. There's um, lots of good you know, those yeah. are, uh, are, are classic paintings in that, um, in that vein. Um. One of the things also I like about pinholes is they can be ultra cheap. Uh, they can be done with stuff that you have in your house right now. In fact, I'm going to say that everybody who is listening right now could make a pinhole in the next 15 minutes, pinhole camera in the next 15 minutes, um, with objects around the house. Um, as long as you have some sort of foil, then you can yeah, do that and, you know, and
0: some, f- and some film in the fridge. Yeah.
1: And film. Yeah. Abs- well, no, you can make the camera. I didn't say you could shoot that's it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. You could just
0: like remember the image that you cast that, that's on the wall. Right. That's right. Which is right. what's the job of painters who used camera obscura. And that just struck me that, uh, that we were talking before about uh, shallow depth of field. And I don't really like paintings that use shallow depth of field. It, I don't think they ever did before photography. And then sometimes right. you see someone sort of imitating a photograph. And it just doesn't work. I like a painting to have equal clarity throughout the whole canvas. You know, even if it's a clear view of some blurriness, I just don't want it to be layered the way it is by a shallow lens on a painting. I want that. And and I see what you're talking about. There's a kind of photograph that has the same, uh, you know, it's sort of even treatment over the whole thing so that you don't feel pushed to, to look at it in just one way.
1: So one of the things that I'm going to suggest you do, or the audience do is go back and look at a clip from the original toy story. And I remember going to see toy story and it had to be what, 1996, something like that. It was the first 3d animated movie, uh, feature film. Um, that was all 3d. It was all computer generated, uh, uh or at least that was what they built it as whether you mm-hmm. know i'm sure there's somebody saying no but wait um so if you look at it there were the everything in every shot was in focus mm-hmm. it had full depth of field and they had to then later on go through and develop software to to mimic Focus, mimic the limitations of a glass lens. Sure. Um, and, and it, to make them more movie-like, right? Okay. I mean, that was the idea was to make them more movie-like. Whereas Toy Story was actually a little bit more lifelike in that while our, our eyes focus, you know, a great range of distances, they do it in an instant so that everything's in focus the moment we glance at it.
0: Or um, uh, they, they convincingly tell our brains that we're seeing yes. everything
1: right. in focus. Right. right. Well, I mean, we're seeing everything <laughs> upside down and backwards, and it doesn't look upside down and backwards, does
0: it? Well, right. And today, a friend of mine <laughs> had admitted that all her life she has seen an R that didn't exist in the in the name of a bird because she came from a place that had the same name, except the R was there. So it's like this this letter that appeared in front of her eyes for years and years and years, yeah. years whenever she looked at a word, and it actually wasn't there.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Like, well, yeah. here is something else, and and it's along the same lines, and I think it's a a, a valuable uh, thing to to uh, to do. And and this is what I do um, uh, all the time when I uh, I used to do a lot of typeface design. And one of the things that I would challenge people to do is, uh, you know, I'd tell them, you've been looking at letters your entire lives and you don't know what they look like. And they'd say, what do you mean? Well, I know exactly what it looks like. And I would tell them to draw a lowercase g from a standard serif typeface. Right, For one right. thing, it's double bowls. It's got a connect, right. it's got a um, connection that goes from the upper bowl to the lower bowl that's on no, the sure. left side rather than I'm the sure right I can't side. Do it. It's got an <laughs> ear, you know, and I mean, I, 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 I my eye is a, accu- is attuned to it, but that's exactly the same thing. You, you don't see things until you name them. You don't see them. things until right until you start looking for them, and people call call you know, call them out um, uh, for you. So so let's uh, you know going back going back to the pinhole, um, the it, it, you know it's low tech, it's cheap, shows the movement of time, um, it's a disruptive technology, and uh, and I've been trying from from episode one to to do the. Uh, to do the Pinhole episode, and we're finally getting to do it.
0: Thinking about working with Pinhole's they're very simple, but you still actually have to think about all of the different uh, variables that go into any other camera image-making device. Um, so there are little characteristics they have that affect how they function and kind of uh, influence each other. So the smaller the hole is, up to a certain point, the sharper the image is going to be. But that point has to do with how well-made the pinhole is and how thick the metal is. So if the metal is very, very thin then you can get away with a smaller hole, you know, and if it has very clean edges, you can get away with a smaller hole because there's less turbulence in the diffraction patterns at the edges of the hole. Uh, So more light gets through unmolested, so to speak. A smaller uh, hole, though, also lets less light through, so it makes the camera effectively slower. and means you need longer shutter speeds. You know, if you're trying to take a portrait of somebody, then they're going to have to hold still for longer.
1: That so, could also be an advantage because, you know, once again, if, if showing motion you want motion to is your time. idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But
0: there's another way that that works into design because if the pinhole is really small and you put it really far from the film, you can get impossibly slow because the distance back to the film, in other words, focal length also affects how much light gets there. So, what happens is if you want to use a really tiny pinhole, you're better off with a short focal length, wide field of view camera. And when you get to the bigger sizes of film and getting farther back, longer focal lengths, then you kind of need a bigger hole or else you, you just have hopelessly long shutter times. So, you know, so there's an argument for going to a larger pinhole. and That makes a fuzzier image technically, but if you're shining it on a bigger piece of, film then you've got you know some of your resolution back so it's a trade-off
1: absolutely um now one of the things um is you know uh there is a a limit to the small size um um as you said there there's that um uh you know up until a point Right. Even
0: if you have one, even if you have one atom thick gold foil with a perfectly round hole in it, there's still a limit is what you're saying.
1: Right. Because the light as it goes. okay. so the the whole point of the pinhole is to collimate the light, make it go in a straight line. And um, the um, and as it as light passes things it bends around the corner of it. Um, uh, you know, a, a perfect example is, you know, if you hold your hand, uh, an inch away from a wall on a sunny day, you get a very crisp image of your hand, but you hold it 10 feet away on that same bright sunny day. And it's really fuzzy. That is your light bending around your hand. um, And diffraction, diffraction, right. So there's a point at which as it goes across through that pinhole, as it hits the edge, it diffracts and it diffracts to a point where it, it loses its, um, loses its ability to, to, to move in a straight line. And so much of it gets bent, you get a, a fuzzy image and, um, when I was developing the 24 squared pinhole camera, um, I started off with a, um, 0.05 millimeter. So 120th of a millimeter across. That was the size of the pinhole. That's um, very small. Very small. And it was very blurry. Um, mm-hmm. and this is a camera with, that has a focal length of about 21 millimeters. Uh-huh. And so it really was, um, un, un, unworkable. So I had to go up, I had to double the size, um, to a, um, 10th of a millimeter. Um, so it's, it, you know, it, it, and it works perfectly. The 10th of a millimeter works perfectly. So, um, uh, so that's, that's nice. It's, it's, so there's an, a so nice. there's
0: an, so there's an ideal hole size for a certain size of camera basically.
1: Right. And, yeah. uh, and in fact, uh, we'll talk, maybe I don't even have it in the notes yet, but, um, there is a, uh, a site that a lot of people use, uh, for calculating the size of your pinhole. It's called Mr. Pinhole. And when you go to Mr. Pinhole, on the left side, I think it's the top item on the menu, is a Pinhole Calculator. And it's a little table, and uh, it will give you what it recommends. So you put in your focal length, the size of the film. It will tell you what it what it thinks the Pinhole should be. Um, now, there are a couple of people who I've heard talking, including James Guerin, who does the, uh, the fabulous, uh, reality, so subtle, uh, cameras, uh, that he likes it to, he likes his pinholes to be about 20% smaller than what Mr. Pinhole comes up with. Um, and if, if you listen back to the interview he did on, I believe it was, uh, it was either Sunny 16 or it was the Lensless podcast. Uh, he's been on both of those. So, um, on one of them, he, he made that mention. I think it was the, uh, when he was on the lens list and, um, the, so there's, there's a matter of opinion. There's certainly fudging range and there's also the problem of getting the pinhole to a very specific size and that maybe, it, you know, like I, I doubled the size of the pinhole, you know, really what I should have done was gone up by 50%, but I couldn't find, um, you know, a pinhole that was 0. 0.075. And I would um, say, too, I would so. bet
0: that there's a fairly um, wide range of latitude uh, also based on the media. So if right. you're shooting on paper or soft watercolor paper versus shiny paper versus film versus color right. and all of these things, there's probably some range where the pinhole bigger or smaller might look better depending on the media as well and that for all i know that's an even bigger range i mean right right it's worth try it's worth trying different things out uh,
1: and probably. and here's the deal is um what i was talking about with going down the um you know the fidelity curve it doesn't have to be perfect you know, it just has to make an image. Um, and we'll talk about that, uh, in a, in a minute. Let's, um, so one of the things, well, let's do that now. Okay. So one of the things is rounder is sharper. So the more round the image, uh, the sharper the image. So generally what's available today are, uh, laser, uh, drilled pinholes. And you can, you can buy them a couple of places. Uh, you can buy them several places, but um, the two that I know is you can buy them from James Guerin. So uh, just look up Reality So Subtle. You'll find his re- website, which is dot fr, something like that. Um, but just do look up uh, Reality So Subtle and you can get to his website. And specifically, if you're in Europe, um, you know, much cheaper to get them from him. Uh, I buy them on eBay and I have a, a supplier on eBay um, called Fire Seller 66. And I'm going to just make sure that I'm getting that right. Um, so the
0: French name of James Garin's site is Au Premier Plan. And that's... Yeah. But, but he also has English. He's from Ireland originally. So he's got a bilingual site.
1: Yeah. And it is eBay uh, and it is... Fire, seller, 66, all, and then 66 is in the numerals, and they're all in a straight line. I recommend the, the, um, the pinholes from, from this seller. Um, and, um, uh, I, I've used them, in fact, um, with the production run of the 24 squared. Um, it uses all, all, the pinholes from Fire Cellar 66 and, and they are, you know, they're excellent. Uh, I vouch for them. Um, and I also vouch for the Reality So Subtle cause I own a Reality So Subtle. Now I've, I, I've talked with Todd Schlemmer, um, about the Terrapins and he talked about, I think he was switching suppliers on his pinholes or something like that. And he ordered some and got a whole bunch um, that he didn't like at all. So I'm I'm not sure he, who he uses, but uh,
0: well, you can always make them yourself. And yeah. as Well. Yeah.
1: So so the so the laser drilled ones one of the one of the advantages of the ones that James Guerin does is that they are on a flexible film, so you can you know for if like if you're making. Uh, a pinhole out of a uh, you know a tin can
0: or a soccer and, ball
1: or right. a soccer ball right exactly um, you it's really nice to have a curve because they're you know the surface is curved well his are flexible um, Fire Cellar sixty six they come in a disc and uh, the disc comes in a bunch of different sizes message them if you have a disc size that you want and a pinhole size that you want and you don't see the combination message him. It takes him a while to make them, but, um, he'll, he'll put them, put them together for you. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, a couple of different, uh, advantages. Um, but okay. So let's talk about making them at home. Now, have you done one yourself making them at home?
0: Well, actually, no, I don't think I have. I've, okay. I've, I've I've watched it done, but I've never done it.
1: Okay. So, the, the simplest way is just get aluminum foil. Okay? Get aluminum foil and the sharpest needle from the sewing kit. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you're gonna get an absolute right size because you won't. But what you're gonna do is, um, what, okay, so here's, here's one of the things that you can do. Um, draw out a one by one inch square with a sharpie. On across the, the, um, I don't know, draw, draw out 10 of them, draw out 20 of them, because you're not going to use all of these, but you're going to, uh, I'm going to tell you about how to test them and how to view them. But, you know, if you draw out these squares and then put a little pinhole, put, uh, you know, uh, some sort of surface underneath that will allow, will keep the, um, Keep the foil steady, and but will allow the pin to go to. And you don't want the pin to go all the way through. You just want to make a little tiny hole,
0: and like a, um, a firm cork board or a, a yeah. smooth piece of wood or something like. Or, that.
1: Or yeah, a piece of wood will work. Uh, I've used leather in the in the past. Leather's actually a really good material for that. Um, and vegan leather will work too if if you're a vegan. Um, but the you, you make a hole in the center of every one of those. Then you put that piece of aluminum on your scanner and you're going to scan it like you would scan a negative. So you need the light coming through it. Okay. So, um, now one of the things you're going to ha- have to do is make a little tear in the aluminum so you know what end is what. Um, otherwise you'll, you'll never know. Which, which is the first hole and which is the last hole, but just make a little tear in the aluminum, make a little mark, uh, a little hole that you can, you can recognize. So you scan it, but what you're going to do is you're going to scan it at 1000 pixels per centimeter because this is all done metric. Um, so it's going to be 1000 pixels per centimeter. So then say you've gone to, um, Pinhole, uh, Mr. Pinhole, and you've run through the, through the calculator. Um, You, and say, he says that you need a 0.3 millimeter pinhole, three tenths of a millimeter uh, pinhole. What you're going to do is you're going to scan those, scan the, the image at 1000 pixels per centimeter, and then you're going to zoom in, in Photoshop and you need to zoom in to the point where it shows the grid of pixels. And then you're going to count the pixels from one edge to the other. So a three-tenths of a millimeter hole would be 30 pixels if you scan at a 1,000 pixels per centimeter. So um, that will allow you to see two things. One of them will allow you to measure the hole. And the other one will, the other part is it allows you to see how, how round the hole is. Rounder is sharper. Um, now, if you don't, if you're not worried about that, don't, don't, you know, it's not a, um, if you don't want the fidelity, don't worry about it. You'll get an image. Um, but you want to know the size because then you have to do the calculation later on when you do, um, when you're taking the image, you have to know, How long to hold, you know, how long to shoot it for. Um, so you could, that's one of the, one of the methods. Now, the measuring of the hole works the same way for the next method. If you want to go up a grade, if you want to go up a level, uh, you can take an aluminum can and, um, drink the beer first, uh, and then cut the aluminum can. Um, so you just have like, a, a sheet of aluminum, flatten it out as best you can. And then what you're going to do is once again, with your, with your sharpest needle and a, what do you call it? Uh thumb, a th- uh, finger, um,
0: uh, thimble,
1: thimble. Thank you very much. You're going to push down with the thimble. So you make an impression on the aluminum. You're not going to try to go all the way through. Otherwise you get like a Mount Vesuvius kind of, uh you know shape um so you're going to then flip it over and that raised portion is going to be raised and you're going to take the finest sandpaper you have or what's really great an emery board um you know uh, that's what i use cuz it's it's perfect for it and you know just go to the dollar store or the the poundland and get you know a pack of emery boards and they'll last you forever so you just rub that, rub it, rub it, and you're going to make it thinner. So you're going to leave that rubbed side up, and then you're going to press down again. And then the impression, um, you'll flip it over and sand that down again and sand it down again. Now, you're eventually going to work your way through that aluminum. Now, uh, the last thing that you're going to do is be- before... You know, just when you first get a glimpse of light through it, you know, you can hold it up to a a light bulb and and see whether there's a hole. You're going to put the tip of the needle in there to round the hole. And then, you know, and do, once again, do six or eight of them on an aluminum, you know, a sheet of aluminum, put them on the scanner and check them. And, um... Yes,
0: pick the best one, yeah.
1: Pick the best one, right, exactly. Um, and I've done, uh, I've done these where, you know, like I've done a whole classroom full of students and, you know, I can get that out of one can. I can get uh, enough good, uh, pinholes out of, uh, out of one can. Um, you know, I mean, they're not going to be perfect, but once again, it's pinhole. It's not going to be perfect. So, so yeah, I
0: have a, I have a little tip for flattening the bent metal if you have aluminum that's curved and you want it to be flat, the easiest way to do it is to put it on a smooth, flat, hard surface, preferably, you know, with some weight. And then you just put another flat piece on top and that ideally would, it could be very dense wood or ideally would be, you know, polished steel or something like that. But basically trap it between two flat things and then hit the upper flat thing with a hammer. Oh, okay. That way it'll actually flatten it. Whereas if you try and work it by pushing on it and tapping on it, you'll you'll start altering it in these little individual locations and it'll get worse and worse (laughs) instead of better. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, that's a really best way to flatten metal.
1: All right. All right. I've, uh, I've not done it that way. I usually just turn it around the other side and run it over the edge of the table and then it curls the other way. Sure. Uh, (laughs) So, um, so, so that's really, uh, the best way to, to make your pinhole. Um, So, uh, um, the, one of the things, again, as you're starting out, um, and this is, I I think that this is something that is true across the board with everything that we talk about on this podcast. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, you know what? It doesn't have to be right the first time. What it is, is the, the first time you're going through it is, you know, you do the proof of concept. And then each time you build, you, you get better, right? Each time you build, it gets to that next level. So, um, you know, if the first one is not to your, to your liking, build another one, you know? Um,
0: yep. I like, I like, yeah, I like this plan. It sounds good yeah. to me. Tiny it's... little pinhole. There's actually some apertures that get almost down to the pinhole range on some old lenses. I wonder if there's any, uh, Possibility of making yeah. an adjustable pinhole that would sort of be okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's
1: an idea. That's an idea. Yeah. I don't know. Um, now there have been, uh, turret models. Yep. Um, right.
0: That's, that's a good way to do it
1: where you've got multiple pinholes. Um, mm-hmm. and you just, you know, roll them around on a dial. It'd
0: be nice to make one out of an old rotary telephone dial. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. But then the kids of today wouldn't have any idea what it is (laughs) so
0: so you could tell them it was a camera and they would believe you
1: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so um
0: sticking their sticking their finger in the lens and trying to dial it
1: yeah there was um uh, uh we just had a discussion at uh thanksgiving about the idea of uh of kids not knowing really how a rotary dial telephone works And, um, one of the people said, uh, he was, he was doing some play acting with some students and he said, um, pretend you're dialing the operator. And the kid turned around and said, what's an operator? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, we don't, uh, you know. Well, it's from
0: the, it's from the time when humans did the work of robots and they they don't know that time.
1: Exactly. Once again, our robot overlords can disconnect our phone calls. So, okay. So, so I think that we've pretty much taken care of the actual pinhole itself. Now, it's good if, um, uh, if it can be black, if the surface of it can be black. Um, however, you don't want to paint it. And, uh, often the sanding gets rid of any, you know, if you paint it ahead of time. Eh. So yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, Let I'm, some light or, bounce around. Yeah.
0: Or you could put a teeny little tiny swatch of tape over the whole part and then paint all around it with a brush and some black paint oh yeah and yeah then, you can and then when it dries pull that little tiny thing off and that'll greatly reduce internal reflection yeah. which is not a not a bad idea with very long exposures and homemade cameras so, right
1: right so exactly.
0: but yeah don't get paint on the hole because that'll wreck it
1: Once you have your pinhole, you really need a body um, to, uh, you know, to to put the uh, the pinhole on and to hold the film and help with the transport. Um, there are some very simple ways. The simplest way is to take a camera, you know, just knock the lens off it. I, it's, you know, I'm thinking, you know, throw it against the wall, knock the lens off it. And... And then just, you know, put the pinhole over where the lens used to be. Um, But if you don't have a Hasselblad or a Leica laying around, um, one of the things that you can do is just, you know, a DSLR will work. A DSLR or an SLR that uses film. Um, But uh, all you have to do is take a body cap, one of those plastic body caps, drill a hole in the center of the body cap, put your pinhole behind it, put the pinhole on the inside of it, and then put the cap back on your SLR. And if it is like an auto exposure um, SLR, it'll take care of that exposure. Um, and, you know, it'll, it'll see that light and it will, generally it will expose uh, properly for that light. So that really is probably the easiest, um, way to play with pinhole for the first time. But if you want to build a pinhole camera, there is the old, the, the, the first pinhole that I ever built. Um, and you'll, you'll hear it's the oatmeal, um, oatmeal box. Uh, Quaker Oats now comes, I mean, it still comes in a, in a paperboard tube but it's but it's been it's a little bit different from it used to what it used to be it used to have a paper paperboard top that actually fit over the tube um think of uh yeah um think of yeah, a like cap ch- yeah it's sure. it, it was just a cap that would go all right. the way around it and what was nice about that is it was light tight so um now there are a couple of different ways that you could make a pinhole and um uh out of one of those one of them is put the pinhole in the end the bottom of the container and put you know a uh, a paper negative in the top of the container and so you put the put the lid on and you go around and and open up the the pinhole and uh expose it that way okay so so that would give you a round negative, but it would also be what is that about a two hundred millimeter lens? Yeah, it's, it's pretty long meter. focal length. Yeah, pretty long yeah. focal length. But you would end have, up with a, a, negative, a, a negative, a negative that's get about four and out. a half. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But it was about four and a half inches in diameter, sure. and and that's the one that that's the one that that I made uh, the, the first time um, when I was a kid. Now, the other way to do it is to take a piece of like four by five paper and put it around one of the curved sides and opposite that, you put your pinhole on that side. Now, that's the,
0: really an appealing way. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, And yeah. and it, it, for one thing, it shortens the focal length um, and it, that curve actually evens out the exposure um uh, because w- w- we'll, we'll talk about focal length in a, well, the, in a minute, s- but, um, so
0: it, it keeps the paper equidistant from the pinhole. Right. And that means the light has travels the same distance to every part of the paper, as opposed to a flat background where the, the light has to travel a longer diagonal line to get out to the corners, Right. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's one, but I will tell you that my favorite pinhole camera to make, you know, just... Quickly, quick gorilla making of a pinhole camera is I take a matchbox. It's the little, little tiny matchbox um, that has, you know, it's about a one inch by, um, you know, two inch, no, one inch by one and a half inch matchbox. You open that up, dump out the matches. Okay. You're going to use both the insert and the um, and the, the outer portion. Um, and what you're going to do is you're going to, um, take out the insert and cut a square that is almost the whole insert out of it. Okay. And, um, the reason why you use the insert is because it's, it's going to keep the, uh, film flat, which is really, uh, important in this. Okay. So then you cut a hole for the pinhole, place your pinhole, tape that all up on the outer sleeve. And then you put it together so that that hole that you cut out, so the bottom of the, of the tray is up against the pinhole. Okay. So then on the other side, you have the top of the tray. And you can, it is just the right size for 35 millimeter film. It is exactly, and you'll be shooting over the sprockets and everything good like that. And that tray will keep that film perfectly flat, which is way cool. So then what you're going to do is you're going to take two 35 millimeter cans, one empty, one with film. And hopefully, well, you're going to have to have the tail out on the empty one. You put the film through the outer box, then you put in, and then you slide the tray in. That holds it down. And then you tape the leader from the supply to the, um, to the, the take-up. Take yeah, The tail on the take-up reel. And then you, you get them, get the mouth of the cassette as close as you can to the um uh to the edge of the matchbox and then tape around all that. so I mean this is a this is uh I mean electrical tape is perfect for this um and um the and also then what you're gonna do is you're going to make a shutter out of electrical tape by folding over the end of one piece of electrical tape and putting it over the pinhole itself, okay so that's what your shutter is going to be. Now, to advance the film, you're going to to stick a number two pencil down, you know, cut it off or there or you can do a dowel or something like that. And sometimes it'll be loose if it's loose in the in the uh, advancement reel, the advancement, uh, um, uh, whatever the cylinder there that would normally advance it. Just tape it on it. Tape is your friend for this. Um, and guess how far you advance it. So advance it a little bit to, to get to fresh film and then just hold it, open up the, the lens and then, or, you know, open up that shutter and close it up. Uh, and you've got a, a a pinhole shot. Now, if it's, this is, this is going to be very, very, very short focal length. Um, and, uh, your pinhole's. Got to be pretty small, but even if it even if it's not, you're going to probably overexpose it, and overexposing just does what it pushes you further down that uh, fidelity curve, which is fine fine with me. And or the other way is um, as Corey Cannon calls it the pinch method. Um, you know, you you, you kind of cover the camera with your hand, pull off the tape, and put your finger over the the lens. And then hold it with your other hand and then just move your finger and move your finger back. And mm. you know, uh and that's close enough. That's close enough. Really, seriously, it's close enough. Now what's great about these things is you can have six of them in your pocket. Well, I can. I wear cargo pants. Uh you can have six of them in your pocket and um and one of the things that I do and Graham of the Sunny 16, this might be good therapy for you. Um, and it might be good therapy for anybody who has the problem of finishing a role, of film. You don't know which picture is going to turn out. You get a really low rate of return on good picture versus bad picture. So just shoot the roll. You know, just take a picture, you know, advance it, take another one don't even worry about subject this is all this is a serendipity camera no seriously i i to me it is the most fun camera in the world that you can do now um uh you know, the match,
0: you're absolutely right although you make it sound like it isn't a good idea i think you're right
1: how do i make it sound like it's not a good idea i thought it, i thought i made it sound look wonderful
0: well, you were sort of saying that because this is such a terrible camera, I should shoot constantly in order,
1: in yes. order to. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things mm. that I love about pinhole cameras is because they are more, they're less predictable, okay, than a lensed camera. And certainly they're less predictable than a camera with a light meter. And they're less predictable than, you know, a modern DSLR or, or mirrorless or anything. Or phone, for that matter. Because they are less predictable, you have a higher failure rate. But then I, to me, that I have much lower value on on exposing everyone. You know, I don't have to get as many good photos on one of these as I would, I would say to myself that I would have to get if I'm shooting a Leica. So, so I, I kind of feel like you know, um, I need to shoot more pictures in order to get some good ones. You know, at, at the end of the day, I'll have the same number of good pictures, but I may have four times the rolls of film.
0: Yeah, I was just, le- so, I was just teasing you. I was just laughing because yeah. it sounded funny. But in fact, I think you're right. I think. Part of it too is that the really non-technical cameras forced you to think about the freaking subject, you know, like right. when, if there's, if there's absolutely not in nothing you can worry about technically, then you're forced to think about what you're going to take a picture of. And right. that maybe turns out to be more important.
1: And one of the things that you give up, you know, on pinhole cameras, um, especially ones that are, you know, they're purpose-made as pinhole cameras is you're going to give up on framing? Um, now there are uh, cameras that will have a line on that. Usually, it's on the top panel and on the side panel. And what it will do, it'll be a line from. It'll be a kind of a triangular shape where it points right at the um, uh, the the pinhole. And it goes out to the edges of the exposed film, and the idea with that is you can look along a line and see whether something's going to be in the picture, and then you turn your head and you look along the other line, and you can see whether or not you're getting it all in. And generally, I never pay attention to those at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I built them onto cameras, and um, I, I I don't have a viewfinder. I don't. I, I'm I'm okay. I am okay with it not being perfectly framed. I'm okay with it not being level. Um, No, I have.
0: I almost there's another side of that which is that when I use a camera with a good viewfinder, I tend to frame like involuntarily frame in a in a kind of cliched way, and I have to fight that. Yeah, because because like my my hands just want to go to those thirds lines or one of those like standard ways of framing but i actually don't like those pictures as much as ones that really break all those rules and so what you're doing is basically making that automatic or unavoidable like yeah <laughs> you can't uh, aim with precision you're sure not to get one of those sort of ordinary frames and then you know just shoot wider just like get more in the picture and crop it later if you have to you know
1: uh, and um i had a i had a friend named steve in my 20s um when i was when we were in our 20s and, um, he had spent some time in Germany as an exchange student and he had come back with a, I believe he got it there. Maybe he got it later than that, but he'd come back with, uh, one of the very, very early autofocus point and shoot cameras. And one of the things that he said, one of the, okay, one of the ways that he took pictures that I thought was really exciting. And I thought he was absolutely crazy to do it. And I probably railed against him at the time, but looking back, it really influenced me was the idea that he no longer had to look through the viewfinder because he didn't have to focus. So he would just kind of oh, take yeah. a picture, sure. put, take a picture at arm's length, yeah. pointing out and down. Right. Yeah, you I know, tried that and,
0: for a while and I, I wasn't very good at aiming and I got some pretty yeah. bad photographs
1: <laughs> as a result. But maybe one of the things that you have to think about, uh, think about one of the things that, that, that is, it's the same thing with the pinhole camera. You have to allow yourself to take more shots. Yeah. So, uh, sure, um, sure. And also,
0: that's, that's part of it. And also not worrying as much is definitely yeah, worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's one reason I like kind of oversized. Uh, optical viewfinders that you stick on top of a camera because you know, if you're, they just show you, Oh, it's about like that. And they're not giving you the exact thing. And it has a similar effect. You're, you're, but at least I'll get the subject and not completely miss, which is what happens when I shoot from the hip. I'm just not very good at that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had, um, uh, I was shooting with the 63. Um, and, uh, I was shooting a, a friend of mine, Chad, a former student of mine, and we were having lunch and, um, I, I just kind of, he, he was, he was, I think he was ordering or something like that. And, um, so I just kind of brought the camera up and I didn't have the viewfinder or didn't have the, yeah, the little plastic viewfinder that I, I built for it later on. And I just took his, took his picture and I got him from the eyebrows up, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which, which wasn't, you know, in the end terrible, but it, it no, wasn't a great. Actually, yeah. Yeah. It's a it good
0: picture, a but it picture. wasn't what your intention was. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things where I said, ah, uh, maybe I'll look through the viewfinder next time, or maybe I'll just kind of aim along the camera next time. So, so anyway, um, so that's a matchbox. Um, now one of the things that I found, um, if you want to change size of the frame, um, it is uh, one of the great sor- good sources for boxes. Is going to Hobby Lobby, um, Michaels, and in Europe, whatever um, you know, craft store that you I have. I think
0: a lot of sensible people look for boxes in a grocery store, and you know, when well, they you get could, things with the whole baked goods and well. Pakes you could, and, you know, and, yeah. and,
1: and and let's come back to that in a second. Because like then you, the get boxes... a, you get
0: a pie with your camera. You
1: know? Yes, absolutely. But the problem is that you get all that meringue all over your film. <laughs> and yeah, uh, let let's come back to that because you have to figure uh, some some material things in with that. But the the boxes that I'm talking about they're little like craft boxes. They're they're made out of paper paperboard, um, and they're designed to be. Painted on, glued on, you know, bedazzled, whatever. Right, uh, and they're gets they
0: e- easy to cut and easy to stick absolutely to and, right, right.
1: So if you use the same system that I just described for the um uh for the film transport, you just have to cut a slit in in the bottom, you know, on the side at the bottom, um, that's as wide as your film is. But then you can have a larger box or you can have a really long box and and um i if you guys know um uh, for sale in the US at least there's harry's razors they come in a in a box that's uh probably an inch and a half wide by maybe 7 inches. and right i'm talking in the US so that's um what's an inch and a half 2 2 and a quarter centimeters by 12 centimeters no 10 centimeters let's say so it's a box and then it's um that it's maybe three quarters of an inch so a centimeter thick um or maybe it's a little bit thicker than that anyway um i've i i've made cameras out of those a couple of times now uh i haven't had great success but what what i was going for is an image that would be shot over the sprockets and it would be about thirty five by about seventy eight or eighty millimeters which is a huge really you know panoramic very much an image that you don't get from the standard world of photography and and now those are fun and you know i mean there's there's no end to to what you could do with size now to start with i have found that working with 35 millimeter film is easier um simply because of the film transport you take two film cassettes an empty one with the tail hanging out and a full one that's the supply and you tape them together and just reel them reel them together reel and you don't then rewind you just leave it in the take up can and you cut the film and leave a little bit of tail out and then just move that over as the uh the take up reel for the next one and it seems um, like you
0: could do the same kind of thing with 120
1: uh you yeah, 120 is a little bit different in that the 120 spool um that with the backing paper on it does not have a uh, it has the tendency to torque when you try to turn it and it will, the backing well, you, paper and the film, right. it, it will try. It needs, a,
0: it needs a carriage. It needs something to keep it, it straight. It needs something yeah.
1: on the bottom to hold mm-hmm. it in place yeah, because definitely. otherwise it it will try to, um, make a parallelogram, um, not a parallelogram, a trapezoid. No, I, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, so exactly. so it'll it'll tow in. Is, right. is but that's just is a little idea. bit of
0: construction that you need to do. Right, that's all.
1: right. Yeah. And and what I found is often you can can just make that space out of a, a rigid piece of uh, of uh, cardboard or plastic or or something like that. Right,
0: that'll just hug yeah. the thing and keep yeah. it in place. Yeah, maybe now, adding a little spindle made out of a chopstick or something like that.
1: Right. Now these boxes that you you find it's good to spray paint matte black and let them dry before you um uh before you, you know you put the pinhole on it and put the film in uh because that will limit the amount of light that is bouncing around um and um I I absolutely love the opportunity That this type of thing has for creating, um, multiple sizes, um, from a single type of film. And, and here's, and I'm not talking about like the, the flexopan where you can shoot different things in the same box because there is an incredible economy of building out of cardboard. It is so cheap, um, that you can build one and then you can build one of a slightly different size and you can build one that is huge. Uh, One of the things that uh, there, I mean there are probably a hundred different pinhole cameras that I haven't built yet that I will um, and and then are in my brain at at one point. But one of the things that I want to do is I want to have a pinhole camera that has two strips of 35 millimeter film that are advancing and um and it, it wouldn't be hard to do you just you know make sure that they're upside down with each other uh, yeah anyway it would not be difficult to do um yeah and i think and, well,
0: I'll, I'll just jump over and and use that uh, film back that i already have made into a panoramic back and all i need right. to do well, is make a cardboard nose cone and a Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can,
1: yeah, you can do that. Uh, But one of the things that, let me finish describing this. So it would be two strips of film that are um, top and bottom um, that would be exposed at the same time. Oh, right. So Um,
0: basically the image of the the lens is projected onto both strips.
1: Onto both strips. So it's an array. So it would be 70 millimeter um, with Mm -hmm. holes all over it. You know yeah so sure. i mean that that's that's one thing that you could do and you could also do that with 120 so it would be uh it would be actually 120 wouldn't it it would be mm-hmm. 120 <laughs> <20 Yeah>. millimeters <laughs> so that's a, the one thing that I, <clears throat> I always laugh at and i catch myself saying it every once in a while 35 millimeter and then 120 millimeter uh,
0: well let's see it's six isn't it basically it's six a little more than yeah. six centimeters yeah
1: more, yeah. So, right. so doubling it would be 12 centimeters, 120 millimeters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so my, the idea. Okay. So one of the things he said was you, you go get a pie. Cardboard is not made equally. Um And, um and I'm going to differentiate cardboard from paperboard. Um, cardboard is corrugated, meaning that it has a layer on the top, it has a layer in the bottom, and then it has a wavy layer in the middle. That's not generally a really good material. What I'm talking about is paperboard, and paperboard is essentially thick, thick, thick paper. Right. Um, and, um, you know, so if you think about a cereal box, um, that's probably a universal that everybody could, could relate to. A cereal box is is probably not thick enough to make, in one layer, it's probably not thick enough to keep the light out or keep the dark in. So what you want to do, uh, the easiest way, is um, turn the light on on your camera, uh, on your phone, your phone camera. You know, you're at the, you're at a store, you know, you're looking at it. Um, and shine the light on the back. And if you can see it through, and of course, just one layer. Right. Um, if you can see it through, it's not thick enough. If you can't see it through, then you're probably good. That's the best way to determine, um, you know, on a rule of thumb and thicker is always better. And you can always, you know, if you get, you know, okay. So, um, you check a cereal box, you can always double layer it. You can always make it two ply. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that's not too, too difficult. Um, now, you have recently done a pinhole camera um, from a modified Hasselblad, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I have that roll of film and I just haven't uh, developed it yet. And it's just a bo- I mean, from the point of view of the camera, it's just a box, really, uh, and a film transport system. So what was nice was it had... Uh, Or he had a crank that could move the film perfectly, you know, and and a window to check how far the film had gone. And so the the transport was all taken care of. Um, And I used, I added in a shutter because I wanted to be able to, you know, fire the shutter without jiggling the camera. Uh, It has a way to attach to a tripod. I mean, I had a broken Hasselblad, so I made it into a camera. And it does make an excellent pinhole camera. But you're limited to the longer focal lengths because of that long box that is built to hold a mirror in a in an slr so right really i'd be better off with just making a cardboard cone and sticking it on a roll film back uh, well you know, for a, a lot of uses
1: leslie Lazenby on a recent uh, episode of the film photography project uh podcast um she talked about a pin blad and it is is it three D printed? Do you remember whether it was three D yeah, printed? Yeah, it's a
0: three D printed cone nose cone for pinhole uh that you attach onto a standard a... film back for Hasselblad, and there are also Russian ones that fit to
1: uh Yeah, and, and there was and, uh hers hers went on what is it, the A twelve or whatever it is, the the um the Hasselblad back but they mm-hmm. also make them i think for RB67s am i right on that well they, they were, so they're
0: planning they're planning to release ones for RB67s okay. and that's okay. what i'd be interested in cuz the RB67 is the standard um uh, graph lock standard so there are right. many 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 roll film backs that would fit that
1: yeah and um so uh um it, you know it's that is you know i, I Kind of did a similar thing, but with a lens um, on one of mine. Um, you know, where where you <clears throat> just make a box and you uh, and you put a back on it, and then you put the lens on the front, and and it, it, that would work uh, as a pinhole. And in fact, one of the things that I do almost always with every build that I build, whether it's a lensed camera whether it's designed as a lens camera or whether it's, um, you know, designed to be a pinhole camera, is I will test it as a pinhole camera. Because one of the things that you don't have to worry about is you don't have to worry about the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, flange focal distance. And, you know, if if what you're testing is the light tightness of the box and the uh, film transport, a pinhole is a great... um, you know, a great method to do that, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I did. And one of the one of the pictures I would, I'm going to show in my faculty show, and I, it, it's it's juried by me. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those shows where you go. I got into that show by virtue of my employment, not by uh, virtue of the work that I do. But um, one of the pictures that I'm putting in there is uh, from the '63 when I was testing the film advance, I went out, I just, I, uh, before I figured out what the lens cone was, cause I, I, I had done some mis, mis-measurement and got a lens cone. That was like eight times too long. Um, and, uh, so I just made a pinhole for it and went around and, and checked to see whether, it, whether it would work. And I got some really good pictures and I only shot one roll with it. Um, but I got some really good pictures from that. And, um, uh, it's really a nice, um, uh, it is a nice way to, uh, to go about, um, testing your camera. So, so I, you know, uh, I guess that pretty much, I, I, are we, have we covered it? Do you think Nick?
0: Yeah. I think that covers the, the, the basics basics of doing it. And we've, we talked about more of the theoretical stuff in one of our earlier episodes. So, uh, yeah, this is more about actually just making something and, and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because, you know, I really have been wanting to go more in this direction and I have a bunch of roll film backs and I should just do some tape and cardboard Man, I have it. It's let lying here on the floor. You know, I have it in a drawer. I can just do it. And that's a good idea.
1: Yeah. Um, okay so one of the things uh, one of the things I want to say is um, uh, the company that makes the pinblad is called Light Light Leaks Lab and if you look them up they have a Facebook um, uh, Facebook page but I'm not on Facebook so I can't see it they make me sign in it's horrible Well, um, uh, one of the things that we want to talk about today is um, our arch nemesis uh, uh, podcast. Or actually, it's one third of a podcast. Our arch, Nem- our arch nemesis is only one third of a podcast. And that's Graham from the Sunny 16 podcast. I think actually uh, he's our, an arch nemesis for all other podcasters, don't you think? I don't know. I, I think...
0: That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, no, go ahead.
1: I'm not exaggerating. Um, so anyway, he called us out um, because he uh, on this last episode of backing paper, their um, supplemental podcast, um, the uh, I, I mean, it, it I, I'm going to point out it shows that they're an incompetent podcast. that They have to have a second podcast to take care of all the stuff that they can't do on their original podcast. If they were good, they'd be able to do it. Right. So, um, uh, they the called us out that we had not talked about the scammers. And, um, uh, the only reason why we have not talked about the scammers is truly I've given up.
0: Well, that's maybe your reason. <laughs> I haven't given up.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I haven't, I just haven't bothered to work on it because I've got too many other things going on, but sure. the, I have a sure. tray, I have a tray in my room. It has it's on the back a burner. camera, it has an alternative <laughs> lens and I'm now okay. starting to, to veer in the direction of like just trying random experiments instead of fussing about it so much.
1: Okay. I so be the best so I, I will say that the camera that I tried to modify has uh, been taken off the back burner And it's sat on, you know, okay, I'll put it this way. I've kind of put it in the sink and I've filled it with water and I'm soaking it for a very long (laughs) time. Oh, Nick, I give up. I'm giving up on it. I'm giving well, up on that scammer. Your now, camera,
0: but you, you had a terrible one. Like yours actually was pretty. Oh, horrible. yeah, yeah, yeah. The but, one I
1: have, the problem I have with mine is that I actually kind of like it and I, I don't want to damage right. it. Right. Oh, right, right. Okay. So, so I bought two. I bought an Olympia, which is this faux SLR with, uh, with uh, auto advance and all that type of stuff. Now, when I took it apart, what I love about it is that I learned a hell of a lot about the structure and last week we were talking about shutters and those rotary shutters that are on there are just they're so simple i think that i can make one you know Mm -hmm. that that works and it's
0: a and it's a and it's a very useful speed too like you can stop action with it it's actually
1: right all i have to do is is balance out the the um i don't know the resistance on the spring I think it's just and, like the pinholes. I think,
0: I think you need to make 10 in a row. And, yeah. if, and if three or four of them work, you can even set the yeah. camera up so you can switch shutter speeds by switching yes. shutters. So yeah,
1: a- Absolutely. Okay, and the other one that I got was the Ninoka or or was yours the Ninoka? Okay, anyway. Whatever. No,
0: mine is the Nikona and yours is the Ninoka.
1: Mm-hmm. The Ninoka. And the Ninoka, um, I actually enjoy shooting with as a plastic, cheap, crappy toy camera i enjoy shooting with it um and um and so i'll uh i'll, I'll keep that not i'm gonna use it but i don't think that i'm gonna put a whole lot of effort out of modifying and resurrecting now here's what i will say and this is where the value is no i'm not going to smash it with a hammer the value of the of the um uh, of the scammers really has been taking them apart and really looking at a very simple mechanism to um, take a picture. And it, it is a, a lesson because, you know, I mean, I'm not going to ever have build a uh, four-bladed titanium shutter, right? Um, no, no. You but know, really,
0: all this camera needs to be an excellent camera is a better lens. That's pretty much all it needs.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say, I, I would agree with that. Um. So, so anyway, uh, I, I, it's been an incredibly valuable experience, and probably, um, if if Nick had not, um, really keyed in on the on Graham's hammer fatwa. Well I'm always um,
0: I'm always I'm always there to support the underdog, you know, whether right, it's the right. scamera or
1: yeah. I, I would certainly at this point have less understanding of uh of of at least that type of rotary shutter. I would certainly and uh and I, I really think that it, it was a valuable experience for me. I highly recommend not smashing in them with hammers, but taking them apart in an orderly way and really looking at them because there's so you, there's so you think that you actually there. think
0: that, you think that vivisection is better than blood absolutely what you're saying absolutely right? okay let
1: it scream don't even use anesthetic um and <laughs> and just just have at it just have at it and then toss it no um but uh but yeah um and and really truth truthfully let's go back to the other part about it is the Nanoka doesn't deserve to be smashed because, for a seven dollar camera, it is perfectly good. It is mm-hmm. it is more than adequate for a seven dollar camera. So um so yeah so thank you for for, you know, calling the fatwa on the um, uh on the uh, the scammers because it really helped us out. So so um. <laughs> Now, I, I would ask you on your build update, um, have you got the framing completed?
0: Framing? Framing? No, I'm in the <laughs> middle of framing. So, yeah, so I'm building a house, um, which has taken a lot of energy, but the part I'm actually working on is going to be done in another couple of weeks, so... Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it won't be that bad. But okay, yeah, it's so- making it hard for me to do much. I I come home and yeah. I stare at my camera stuff for a couple hours and then go to sleep, you know? It's right. Like, right. <laughs> You it's know, and it's plus, been hard to get much done.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, y- y- you should maybe document uh, the build, you know? Yeah, um,
0: in theory, but it's been raining all the time, and I just don't have a lot of enthusiasm for taking pictures of myself working in the rain. So.
1: Well, or, or you know, you should set up a, um, you know, go out and put a, put a brick in the yard and uh, put a tripod right on top, you know, center the tripod over the brick and take the same picture every day.
0: Yeah, it's a perfectly good idea.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so okay, so my update on build, I I talked about um kind of stepping back from designing right now 3D cameras um with the idea of of learning the software better. Um and I think that that's going to greatly improve my uh ability to get what's in my brain. Onto a, a working, you know, a working camera body. In the meantime, I have printed the first batch of the 24, the 24 squared um, uh, pinhole cameras. And I am going to be putting them up for sale on an Etsy page um, uh, in not too long. I am waiting on just a, a couple of last minute things. I designed and wrote a manual and Nick very helpfully edited that uh, and I have to finish that out. Uh, I'm working a little bit on the packaging um, and um, and then uh, it's going to be ready to go. There are a couple of other things that I have to do as well. Um, I need to figure out uh, a little bit. I'm going to be selling them on an Etsy shop if, uh, if I will announce it via Instagram. My Instagram is Graham Homemade Camera. At uh yeah, at Graham Homemade Camera. So if you're at all interested in that. Um there uh if if the first batch sells out, guess what I'm gonna do? do
0: you mm, make some do more make, 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 it, make sure. a second batch. I now think the first so.
1: batch the first batch are orange, black, and gray. And um the next batches will be um uh other colors. So the The launch edition is the orange one, so there's a little bit of specialness in that okay, so uh do you have a book? Do you have any any books to talk about?
0: Well, you know, I think I already talked about the pinhole books that I was going to was going to propose, so I'm gonna throw out something completely different um a piece of fiction by Joyce Carey called uh the Horse's Mouth That's always been one of my favorite books. It's about a painter, a fictional painter. But I think it's one of the best books I've ever encountered just about images in general. And it's really fun to read.
1: Okay. Uh, Carrie's my wife's last name, spelled differently. But, um,
0: C A R E Y is this guy. No,
1: C A R Y is Joyce Carey. Is um,
0: mm, it? I thought it was E Y. Oh, whatever.
1: Oh, well, Wikipedia has it. Um. As... <laughs> yeah, and here's the cover of the book. So I've been seeing, okay. I've been
0: seeing your, I've been seeing an invisible E all this time.
1: That's right, absolutely. That's right. Now, can you draw it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. And so, what is it about this book that you really? Well,
0: it's a, it's a, it's there's a painter who's the main character, and he sees oh. the world visually, and there's a there's a lot of stream of consciousness writing that describes. Not only the way the guy sees the world, but how he wants to paint it. And it's very interesting and it applies to any kind of image making. It doesn't have to be about painting. Uh, it's a good book. It's a beautiful piece of writing. It, it manages, you, you feel like you're in the scenes, seeing what's there, hearing what okay. the sounds that are, you know, it's very, very evocative and vivid. It's fun to read
1: okay oh alec guinness uh played him in the movie yeah the movie does not in my opinion
0: (laughs) capture the book at all
1: oh but alec guinness (laughs) come on it's it's a
0: lot of fun yeah yeah absolutely it's more the slapstick side of the books rather than the part i'm interested in Yeah, yeah
1: okay so i have two shout outs one of them is um uh a guy on instagram uh, Lucas Landers. Uh, he's from Brooklyn, and his he is at Cropped underscore Camera, and um, this is a guy who is building aluminum range finders that are oh my god they look like robots. So robot it's not just it's not just a range
0: finder. It's it's a camera with a range. It's a, it's a, a camera built in right. range finder focusing range yeah, finder cameras.
1: Right. Right. and he's doing them out of cast aluminum that is then machined and it is just i mean they they are utilitarian they look like prototypes for um you know uh, they look like agfa prototype prototypes of agfa let's let's not do a folding camera let's do one with a fixed nose cone and that's what these things look like they look like the they're not even the the alpha version they're the prototype just you know but a real really basic. nice
0: but really nicely oh, made
1: yeah i i want one of these things ah oh, i think mm-hmm. that these things are great and he has he has several other ones um he has a website as well and it is uh com, and it's l u c wonder if it's lucius you think that could be Lucius? That's usually well, with they an eye.
0: Usually with an eye. Yeah. So who knows? But
1: anyway, it's l u c u s l a n d e r s dot com, and um he's got a list of five homemade cameras. Oh, and some pinhole cameras. Let's look at the pinhole cameras. I didn't really look at the pinhole. Um. Yeah. He he did. Um. Yeah. Oh, a pinhole camera made out of a a computer hard drive. Oh yeah. Oh my. And then it gets a round disc. Oh my, the the, the platter. He's got a, a lensed camera um, that is a cutout book. And it's the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, which is a book I used to have. <laughs> um, a two-way pinhole camera that is made out of a cardboard shipping container. Uh, it just, oh, please go to this guy's website. It is really good. Um, so that's, that's one shout out. Uh, we have a new podcast, um, and I absolutely, I adore episode one. It's a, episode one is a 10 minute episode. Episode two was pretty cool too. Um, but it's WTF, what the film? Um, and so it, if you're searching and it, it's, uh, and I, I searched it, um, uh, out and found it. It's not a, not a problem at all. And uh, Neil Piper from Soot and Whitewash is the one who clued me into this. Include uh, a bunch of people into it. So um, so if I'm telling you something you already know, it's probably because of Neil. Um, so it's WTF space what the film question mark exclamation. So it's actually an interrobang. Actually, isn't it an interrobang exclamation question mark? Yes. I don't know. Yes, it is. Well, anyway. So um, it, it's the question mark and, and uh, exclamation combined. Mm-hmm. So I, I really I really love it. it uh, he talks about uh, film versus digital in the first episode and does a great analogy. And I absolutely love that. So I'm looking forward to more of those. Uh, he is unnamed or unrevealed, although I think I recognize his voice. So I may be wrong about whether I recognize his voice or not, but um, that's what I have. Do you have a shout out? Do you have anybody you want to talk about? Uh, no, Do you want to talk week. about the hammer you've been using? Or... No, 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 not at all. Not no, at all. not at I all. I have,
0: I have got a little progress on on some camera projects. So I did find some uh, Hasselblad extension rings, which I think are going to allow me to get several lenses to focus in, the, in a better range on the on the the reconstituted Hasselblad which I've abandoned the pinhole on that one after having tested it now I'm working my way through some different lenses for Have it. you posted any really of the fun.
1: Have you posted any of the pinhole pictures from that
0: Uh no because I haven't okay. de- developed the film uh well, that, that would be necessary to do for Yeah
1: me. take take tomorrow off I do your, no but I your did, mother I did, doesn't need a bathroom I, anyway just I did, take tomorrow I did
0: off. I did post some pinhole pictures that I took with a homemade field camera Uh, And they're not, you know, technically really any different. It's just Uh that that gives me more control over focal length and. Right. uh, Right. You know, something like that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, um, uh, I've given you out my contact information. You can also email me Graham at homemade camera. Also, um, specifically Mr. Mystery Man. If you're listening to us, uh, who did WTF, what the film, um uh you can list your podcast on um filmpodcastnetwork.com go to filmpodcastnetwork.com there's a form there it's free to free to use free to visit always free free in perpetuity uh I will never do advertising I want it uh cuz I won't, I set this thing up cuz I want to hear more podcasts um One other thing, and this is something that I really, it's been forefront in my brain recently. I I want to hear more podcasts from people. Um, uh, And uh, because, and here's the deal, you know, um, uh, even if you only get 10 listeners, you get to talk about cameras and you get to talk about (laughs) photography and yet you and that's one of the things that I'm mean, seriously if you're driving around Poughkeepsie and you don't know anybody else in Poughkeepsie who shoots film or or any other photographers who like walking around and shooting at night or anything like that uh, start a podcast find somebody else find find somebody on Instagram or Flickr or somebody something and strike up a conversation and then tell them that you want to do a podcast that's what we did you know, you know, that's essentially you, what we did. And now we get to talk about cameras and photography and stuff like that.
0: How did you know my mom grew up in Poughkeepsie?
1: I didn't know. But is she walking around the only one shooting film in Poughkeepsie? No. No. Okay. So uh, so then she wouldn't be that person. But Poughkeepsie, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, think about it. Do it. Um, we need another. We need a rival Um, podcast um about building cameras. Um, one of the things that Corey Cannon was talking about. Um, uh, I've been texting with him. I haven't been texting with him lately, but this is this is about a month ago. Where he was talking about how he wanted he wanted there to be another um pinhole camera podcast because um uh, there's more synergy, there's more conversation. So what if you Talk about so, some of the same things. There's so synergy. We just,
0: we just gave him one.
1: Right. Well, yeah, this one. Yeah, absolutely. There so go. so anyway. Um your contact is and your uh, Instagram. Yeah,
0: account. so you can find pictures at Abby Nick on Instagram or Nick Lyle on Flickr. Uh you know, post a bunch of stuff there. Okay. Then there's also a Flickr group that is associated with this podcast, which it's great when people uh, post pictures of either cameras or stuff they've shot with cameras uh, on that site.
1: Okay. And um, Robbie, thank you very much for composing our music. Where can you find his stuff?
0: Uh, It's at, um, let's see, what am I, uh, Soundtrap Studios? is is the name of his production